Oh, friends, neighbors, fellow Hoosiers, don't you just love milk? Isn't it so good? Oh, for a lot of us, it's been a significant part of our lives for pretty much our entire lives. Uh, I'm a huge fan of milk, and maybe it's because it's in my blood. You know, you look in my background, like the farm I live on right now. My dad's grandpa, he was a dairy farmer. He had jerseys. And then on my mom's side, uh, her grandpa, he was a dairy farmer. His dairy barn stood about a mile and a half as the crow flies, not as the car drives, from here over by Mount Pisgah Church. And so maybe it's in my blood, but I don't think it's just me. You know, uh, one of our elders, Bruce Miller, grew up on a dairy farm. One of the guys who has been here forever, Dan Blackford, and serves up in the tech booth, grew up, worked on a dairy farm. Milk was a big part of their lives. And in Shelbyville, if you grew up here, there was one dairy to rule them all, and that was Compton's. Yes, oh, that glorious milk and that ice cream. Oh, when you go into Builder's, uh, Builders Lumber and you go into the hardware counter, you see Ben Compton. Just, I'd say hug him. I said that first service, but it's still a pandemic, so just fist bump him or something, and you just thank him for that legacy of that great milk. Oh, so good. And you think about it, it, this isn't just a Shelby County thing either. This spreads bigger to like the whole state because when someone, oftentimes an international person who has come here from another country, wins the Indy 500, what do we shove in their hand for them to drink? Milk. And they slosh it all over themselves, which I think is gross and I would not suggest that. But we just think milk is a big deal. For some of you, especially if you grew up maybe 1960s to the 1990s, your Saturday mornings, you, you had a rhythm. You rolled out of bed, maybe before anybody else was up, you went, you got your favorite cereal, you poured it in the bowl, you put the milk on, you try to time it just right, you rush in, you turn on the TV with the old dial, and you, you put it there on the right channel to watch your cartoons, and you wait till just the right moment where the cereal softens slightly, but it still has that crunch, and you start eating your cinnamon toast crunch. Oh, so good. And this isn't just Indiana people, again, like you could talk to Craig. Craig Olson, he's from Wisconsin, and he would tell you that if you have no milk, you can have no cheese, and if you have no cheese, then you have no happiness, because <laughs> if cheese was the gateway to happiness, well, milk is like the hinges upon which those gates swing, people. Milk, I'm telling you, and I can prove it because for some of you, one of the top five saddest days of your life that you remember where you were. You remember where, JFK, where you were when JFK was shot. You remember where you were when the Challenger exploded. You remember 9-11, and the fourth day you remember is the day you found out you were lactose intolerant. <laughs> it's milk. And this is a big metaphor. Milk is used so much in the Bible to mean different things. It's, it's really cool. So like in Exodus 3, Moses is leading God's people. And what did God tell Moses awaited them when they got to the promised land? He said it would be flowing with milk and honey. It's the Hebrew way of saying all the good stuff awaits you when you get to the promised land. You jump from the Old Testament to the New Testament, 1 Peter 2. Peter wrote to the folks and he said, uh, he said, hey, crave pure spiritual milk, just like a newborn baby. That way you can grow in your faith and you can taste that the Lord is good. Milk just shows up a lot and it shows up today because we're going to go into Hebrews 5 and 6. This is week 7 of our series, Jesus is Better, going through this book of Hebrews and the author uses it in a way that's very similar to what Nate Bargetsy joked about in his little clip. You know, because Nate just kept having this experience. He'd order iced coffee with milk, and he'd end up with just milk. And it was kind of this embarrassing thing, because in our culture, for whatever reason, unless it's breakfast time, you might get a pass. But a lot of us adults, we just don't drink milk in public. We just don't. 
If you go order your kid a kid's meal, you might say, I'm going to be healthy for my kid. I'm going to get him a milk with their... But you order your Big Mac and your combo, what are you going to get? You're not going to get milk. You're going to get Coke. You're going to get Dr. Pepper, Diet Coke, if you're a good Gen Xer, right? I mean, let's be serious. You know, you might dunk your cookies and milk at home. You're probably not going to do that out in public for whatever reason. It's just how our culture is. When we talk about following after Jesus, being faithful disciples, well, starting with the basics, spiritual milk is a good thing, but you can't just keep drinking milk. That's not how it works. Just like a newborn baby. That baby nurses at first, but eventually, with that kiddo, you've got to start adding the more solid food, working up to the best food of all, meat. You know, that's just a part of the deal. And at the end of the day, this is what this is going to come down to today. It, it comes down to this. When you talk about being a disciple and following Jesus and growing in your faith, you're always either taking a step forward or you're taking a step backwards. And there is no in-between. Let that rattle in your brain, kind of land on your heart for just a second. When you follow Jesus, you're either taking a step forward or you're taking a step backward. There's no in-between. There's no just standing still. That's not how it works. I'd love to pray over our time as we get ready to just bust God's word open and ask God to do some cool stuff. So let's pray. Jesus, I thank you we could be here. I thank you that it's Palm Sunday, that we can remember that you jumped on that colt's back and you rode in and people celebrated you and you knew you were walking into an ambush. You knew people were going to put you on that cross and you did it anyway. We remember that today, Jesus. We look ahead to the hope that's going to come on Easter weekend next week. And God, today, as we think about, well, milk, as we think about spiritual milk and moving on to that solid food, God, I pray you will just blow this wide open that I don't care what you have to do, open in our minds, uh, soften our hearts, thicken in our skin. We trust that you know and you're going to let us know right here. We open it up to you. I rebuke just any evil spirit that the enemy sent in here that's trying to muck with us, to distract us. You have to get out in Jesus' name because this is his room and we are his kids and this is his time to study his word and hear his voice. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. All righty. Well, if you wouldn't mind uh, jumping to Hebrews 5, verse 11. Really psyched you're joining us today. If you're here in the room in person, if you're joining us online, I think I'm pointing at the correct camera. I'm glad you're with us too, that you're streaming this from wherever you happen to be, the break room at work, uh, your bed, eating your bowl of cereal. It's okay. It's okay. Not judging. I'd be doing the same thing. You can go hard copy. You can watch on the screen. We'll have the verses going. If you want to jump uh, to insidescc.org and click on take sermon notes, we got all the verses right there, whatever works best for you to help you dial in. But I wanted to recap really fast because this is week seven of this series. So we've come a good ways into this. And we kicked off week one. uh, Pastor Lee said the writer of Hebrews had two big purposes in this book. And the first one was this. It was to elevate Jesus as better than anything else. And the second one was to challenge the people reading the letter to remain faithful to Jesus no matter what happened in their life. So those were the two things. It was elevate Jesus above everything else, that Jesus is better, and then to challenge them no matter what happens. Cling to your faith, stay faithful, be obedient, and trust me with that. All right, 
Now, I love the Bible Project. If you ever check them out, I know I've showed little clips before, but they put these posters together, and they're so cool. I'm going to throw it up on the screen here, and when you look at this, it kind of maps out the whole book. So if at some point in the series you just want to Google this, Bible Project Hebrews poster, it'll show you how we've tracked through. But I want to zoom in because we know you can't read that. I can hardly read it standing here with my glasses. There we go. So here's where we've been so far. Early on, we dove into this book, chapter 1 and 2. We talked about Jesus is God's word. He is greater than angels. He is greater than the Torah, the Old Testament word that God gave his people. We moved on to chapter 3 and 4 and talked about how Jesus is the hope for a new creation. He's the hope for that. He is the new, he is the better Moses leading God's people to the promised land uh, in the kingdom that is coming to earth. And then in chapters 5 through 7, last week, Craig talked about how Jesus is the eternal priest. He's the greater high priest because he didn't descend from the line of the tribe of Levi. No, he descended from the line of Melchizedek. He is the better high priest. And so today, the author's been talking about Jesus' high priest, and all of a sudden he says, whoa, whoa, we, we got to take a rabbit trail. we got to park this car. i got to pull this car over because we can't drive any further until I've addressed something that's really, really important to address. And the challenge that the author of Hebrews gave to them almost a couple thousand years ago, it lands in our laps today to wrestle with, okay? So here we go. Hebrews 5, verse 11. NIV, ready, So he says, we have much to say about this, but it's hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. So apparently the author's trying to tell him about Jesus and Melchizedek. He's like, all right, here's the deal. You're not even trying to keep up. What's the point of me keeping on doing this? We're going to just, we're going to step aside and have a little chat. He's basically like, I shouldn't have to say this, but I'm going to say this. I'm going to give it to you straight. Because this writer is apparently the spiritual father, spiritual big brother, who says, I love you enough, I'm going to be honest to you. I'm going to give you the truth of this deal. And when he used that term, elementary truths, this is just the way in the Greek language of saying, like your ABCs, your spiritual ABCs. So they're stuck in spiritual kindergarten, They just keep going back to the basics. And apparently that's kind of all that these people can handle. And then he mentions milk and he mentions solid food. And the picture that the author's kind of getting at is like a little newborn baby who's an infant who is nursing from its mother for those first, uh, that first year or two of its life. In the ancient world, when they talked about someone, if you had like a teacher who had a school and they had students of different ages, a lot of times they would refer to the teaching that they did for their younger students, their elementary students, as milk. And then for their more advanced students who were more mature in their education, they would talk about giving them solid food. So this is common language. And the author's saying, you're stuck as a milk drinker, and that's not okay. You should not be there. You should be further along. When I was First starting my school journey at Morristown Elementary, which was fall of 1991. Uh, back then, kindergarten was half day. And we, uh, I was in the morning, loved it, because I had my afternoon, mom would pick me up. Uh, but that meant you didn't get lunch when you were a half day kid. You had milk time. So it was this five minute time where the win was if you drank your bag of milk and didn't spill it. 
Like that was like you got the star for that. And every day, two students got selected to pull the milk wagon. So when it was your turn, every two or three weeks, you'd go with your buddy. The teacher would get the count. Who wants white milk? Who wants chocolate? I don't like chocolate milk. I was one of the few kids that got the white milk. And we go pulling that wagon proudly down the hall you know, no supervision, and we'd go in to the milk fridge, and the lunch ladies would meet us, and they'd come out, and they all went to school with my grandma, and they'd be like, oh, you're so sweet. Will you sing for us? And it was weird, but I didn't want them to hate me, so I did, and, and it, it was great, and we just, we just went, just so probably pulling that wagon back and go into the room, and we had milk time. But towards the end of the year, the teacher, Mrs. Thurston, said, now here's the deal. Y'all are moving to first grade next year, and we need to get you ready for this, you're going to get to have lunch. And we're all like, lunch? Oh my gosh. Like we're eating, we've ate lunch our whole life, but we're going to get to have lunch at school. Like the biggest, this is a step. And we went and, and the food, looking back, it was probably awful, but we just thought it was glorious. It might, might as well have been sushi in our little six-year-old minds. And we ate that lunch and we knew that meant you're not in kindergarten anymore. You're an all-day school kid. You're taking that next step in your education. So, author kind of starts out zinging, like really slinging this truth around. Does that hit you? And do you feel like, man, maybe I'm settling for milk when God wants a little bit more for me. Maybe he has more for me. Let's keep going. Verse 13. He says, anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, isn't acquainted with the teaching about righteousness, but solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. So the author says, this is the way it is. If you still live on milk, I'm going to have to treat you this way and speak to you this way. Otherwise, it's going to go over your head. It's going to be pointless. I'm going to be wasting my time and yours. But he reminds them, no, no, there's something better. What is it? It's training. It's like you all need to be training for maturity. I love it. The Greek word literally means to run naked. Because when you competed in athletics at the time, back then it was very common. You just, you, you, you bore all. You didn't want any restrictions, nothing in the way. You just, you just ran naked. He said, I want you to go and be passionate and go after this. And what should it look like? Well, we know that Jesus, who was God himself, Jesus, who's the one that from him come all good things, the very picture of perfection and righteousness, he came to earth and defeated evil. He came and he played this role in God's plan. That the, God's whole story to this point had been pointing to Jesus. And he shows up in human form, carries it out flawlessly as God in a bod, gives hope to our brokenness that this is not the end of the story. And in the midst of this, how do we know what Jesus did? We read it in God's word. We read it in the Bible. He gave this to us. That is the main basis of our training. And how often are we supposed to use it? Constantly. It says, by constant use. So the author says, hey, if you're a mature Christian and you eat solid food, then you're constantly exercising. We're seeing these results show up. You're learning, how do I discern what good is from evil? How do I discern what God's will is and how I'm supposed to be obedient to that? This is a constant thing. Unfortunately for a lot of us, it's really easy. You know, status quo sounds pretty good. Training sounds like a drag, maybe too much effort. You know, it feels doable to stay where we are. And you add into that the last 13, 14 months. We've been in the middle of a pandemic. We've had more grief and loss than most of us have had, maybe ever. We've had so much change. We've navigated constantly. And there's just chaos in our nation. So, you know, there's a lot of fear to go around and clinging to the basics sounds like a pretty good deal. But Jesus says, no, no. I've got so much for you to do. 
So much. I prepared it in advance for you to do, is what he says in Ephesians. You look at it this way. You know, we don't ask kids, we don't ask the milk drinkers to do the hard stuff right out the gate. Who sets the example? It's the mature people. They're the ones who lead the charge to make disciples. They rise to the challenge. They answer the call. They say, we will bring hope. We will bring healing to this community. We do not care what it takes. If it takes a women's home, Shelby Supply, preschool, we're there. And when Shelbyville is staring down issues like poverty, because we are above the state average and the national average, and addiction, you know, we see that. Um, I had a second cousin die of an overdose. Good dude, knew Jesus. He died about a month ago. This is personal for a lot of us. And these people, these 20,000 people in Shelbyville, 87% of them don't know Jesus. They're either de-churched, that they were in church and walked away, or they're unchurched. They have no spiritual muscle memory. And we're supposed to bring them hope. And a big part of that mission is Gen Z. Now, Gen Z, any Gen Zers in here? Born, yeah, okay, yep, born 96 to 2010. Right. So they're the largest generation in our nation. There's like 69 million of you, Gen Zers. Only 4%, one out of every 25 Gen Z folks, see the world through the lens of the Bible, how God sees the world. And back in the day, we called that a biblical world. Only 4%. They do not have spiritual muscle memory. So what they need desperately right now, and a big part of our mission in this town, is going to be what John Stott, a famous pastor, author, theologian, said. He said, They need to see an authentic Christian counterculture. They need to see a bunch of us going and answering the questions culture's throwing at us and living faithfully to influence that culture when it helps us, when it hurts us, to the point where they look and maybe they think, you are such an alien. But they watch our lives and say, but I am so intrigued by how passionate you are and the purpose you have. I've got to check out what you're all about. I've got to see what that's about. And so... I throw it out to you, elders, boomers, Gen Xers, fellow millennials. Can we do that for Gen Z? Can we do it for Gen Alpha? All my kids are Gen Alpha. They're coming right behind the Gen Zers. Are we willing to do that? Let's lay in this plane. Chapter 6, verse 1. I need you all to be praying for me. Uh, The enemy's hitting me really hard. He's landing hard on me. Here we go. So therefore, verse 1. Let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and faith in God, instruction about cleansing rites, laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, eternal judgment, and God permitting, we will do so. Finally, the tone lightens up. Man, this book, by and large, was so hopeful, the first several chapters, all of a sudden we go through a few verses like, this is heavy, this is awkward, and then it lightens up because he says he's almost like a coach running an intense drill for a player out there on the track. You know, I used to watch Greg Martin coach track. Uh, he coached at Waldron, so we'd be at the same meets, and, and, and he'd, coach his, he'd coach his runners hard, but it's because he knew what was best. He knew how good of a time they could run. He knew what lied ahead. This is how this author is. He sees what can be. I love it because the author says, here's the deal. You've got some of this stuff down. You want me to give you a little list? I'll give you a list. He says three things. I won't belabor it, but I'll just summarize. First, he says, well, when it comes to turning away from things that make you spiritually dead and putting your faith in God to give you life, check. 
You got that. You get it. I don't have to rehash that. Number two, understanding why baptism is important and why we lay hands on people to commission them to go serve God and take the gospel. Check. You get that. I know you get that. I'm not going to repeat it. Three, the hope that we have that someday Jesus is going to come back. He's going to raise our dead bodies to life. He's going to be the good and perfect judge to judge the world and bring heaven to earth and that we get to rule with him. Check. I know you get that because we've talked about that. I'm not going to belabor it. He's saying, look, you got this down. You got this foundation. Now it's time to build on that foundation. We're going to stack things on top of it. But he doesn't pretend that human willpower is the missing piece here. Did you catch that? What is that last few words? Verse 3, and God permitting will do so. God permitting. He knows if God doesn't help, if God's not in it, that doesn't get built on. It just doesn't. Things are going to crumble. There's a movie that released uh, 12, 15 years ago called Faith Like Potatoes. It's a real-life story about a farmer in Zambia named Angus Buchan. And through the influence of his life and some others, he comes to know Jesus And it comes time for planting season, and he and all the farmers in the region have a big issue. There's been a drought that's so bad. Scientists are saying, don't even bother putting any crop of any kind in the ground if you don't have insulation. Irrigation, not insulation. Irrigation. Take a little sip of water on that one. And spill it all over me. So if you don't have irrigation, don't put the crop in the ground. You're going to waste your money. You'll be in a worse spot than you are. But he feels like God's saying, you need to plant potatoes. So he plants the potatoes, puts them in the ground. And it comes time to harvest. And there have been a few doubts, but they go, and he and his, his helpers, they dig in, and there's this plentiful harvest of potatoes. And God just proceeds to just build on the foundation of faith. This guy had this new believer, very young in his faith, goes on and all over Africa preaching the gospel, healing the sick, casting out demons from people, starting children's homes for AIDS victims and bringing them into the children of God. It's just amazing. Just this simple farmer who planted potatoes, took the foundation he had, and God said, I will build on it. I will build on it. So if we follow Jesus, we know we're either taking a step forward or we're taking a step back, and there's no in-between. And the author of Hebrews, he seems super concerned. It's almost like he thinks the readers think, well, I'm holding steady, I'm not moving ahead, but but I'm not moving back either. Well, we know that's not how that works. If I told you, I haven't worked out in two years, but I'm still ripped, well, Vron, you're going to call me a liar, because I can see your arms poking out from that shirt there. But that's not how it works. If you want to keep building muscle and get stronger, you keep training. You keep pumping that iron. Spiritually, it's the same way. So a lot of us need to be really honest. We're coming out of this funky season, hopefully, Lord willing, God permitting, coming out of this. And maybe we're going, oh, I'm a little out of shape. But here's the good thing. I stumbled on this quote by Beth Moore. She's such an awesome lady. Just, just God uses her in such big ways. She's an amazing preacher. And she said this about spiritual maturity. Check this out. She said, spiritual maturity, it doesn't mean that we'll never make wrong plans. In fact, spiritual maturity often means having the courage to admit we've made the wrong plans. So maybe you look and you say, man, I I didn't plan well. I'm not where I want to be. The fact you admitted that, God can work with that. He can start with that honesty as his foundation. And there's one other quote I want to throw at you because this is so good. This is by Henry Now, and he was a great 
uh, teacher, theologian. He went to be with Jesus in the mid-1990s, I think. But here's what he said. He said, spiritual maturity is not knowing what to do with your whole life, but just knowing what to do next. Isn't that good? Spiritual maturity is not knowing what to do with your whole life, just knowing what to do next. You don't have to overthink this. You just need to be asking, all right, God, what do I do next? What's the next step for me? What's the next block you're going to lay on top of that foundation? So we're going to dial into a definition Pastor Brad threw out a couple weeks ago. We circle back to this a lot. It's how we define a disciple of Jesus here at SCC. This comes from Matthew 4.19 where Jesus said, Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. So we say a disciple does three things. A disciple is following Jesus, they're being changed by Jesus, and they're on mission for Jesus. So we're just going to do some self-assessment in this next couple minutes and be honest with yourself. Are you those three things? Are you following Jesus? Are you being changed by Jesus? And are you on mission for Jesus? So start, let's just break this down a little bit. Following Jesus. You're probably, God's probably calling you to do one of two things, either starting something or stopping something. Starting something could be, you know what, I've gotten out of my spiritual rhythm. I need to be in the Bible. I need to be praying every day. I need to be disciplined. It could be I've gotten disconnected. I've got to reconnect with people because I know my faith isn't just a me thing. It's an us thing. It could be you're like, I haven't served in a while. I've got spiritual gifts. Apparently, the Bible tells me that. I've got to go use those and figure those out. You know, maybe you need to go disciple somebody. And it's time. You've been walking a while. You are mature. Now's the time. But maybe you need to stop something. Maybe you've developed a behavior or a habit. It, it's tearing you down. It's weighing you down. It's preventing you from growing. It could be an addiction to a substance. It could be an addiction to tech. I don't know. It could be you have a lot of good things in your life, but you're missing out on the best things. So you need to pray in God say, what, what good things do I need to set aside for the best thing, for pursuing you? You know, it could be you're in a relationship that's taking you away from Jesus and God's been weighing on you for a while. Like you need to get out of that relationship or you need to have a hard conversation in that relationship, or you're not going to grow. But if you're following Jesus, you probably need to either start something or stop something. Here's the next thing, being changed by Jesus. Are you being changed by Jesus? Because we're called to bring hope and healing to our community, and God has weighed on me a lot. Uh, and I, I've been dealing with some of my own healing. God has convicted me, Mike, if you don't find more hope and more healing, you're not going to have that to take to other people. Because people who have hope bring hope, and people who are healing bring healing. That's, that's how this works. A couple weeks ago, my wife and my kids went down to North Carolina. She was helping my mother-in-law with a few projects for a week, so I was batching it. And um, Mary Popowell and Tom Meyer said, hey, why don't you come down and visit our small group? I said, awesome. Love to do that. Yep. So I come with all of you there, and I'm sitting. And sitting next to me, is that young couple that Marcia mentioned, Chris and Ashley. Didn't tell them I was going to do this. I'll ask their forgiveness later because I think they'll understand. I'm sitting next to them, and these two have been on this incredible healing journey. What they have overcome just in their life and their addiction, like they are being used by God. God is clearly changing them and using them. And I'm sitting next to them, and I'm just like, man, this is just so cool. And I felt God impress on me, Mike, if you will be faithful, these people sitting next to you, you will literally serve me in this town for decades. And I was like, that sounds good. I want to bring that hope. I want to bring that healing. Are you game for that? Are you being changed by Jesus? Are you asking him to change you? Are you surrendering? And here's the last thing. On mission for Jesus. We talk about that 87% a lot of people that don't know Jesus. And 
one piece that we don't always talk about a lot is just how vitriolic this has gotten. Um, frankly, I'm just so tired of trying to have conversations about racial injustice. Some of you, and I've talked to some of you about this, you go and you try to have a conversation honestly. You try to ask questions, and it feels like you just get your head bitten off. One side says everything is systematic. It's the systematic problem. We've got to change all the systems. The other side says, no, it's a personal issue. It's a, it's a sin issue in the human heart for each individual. And there's a, what it feels like a really small group in the middle who are like, well, but if, if the individuals have the sin and they build and influence the systems, I, I think it's all of that. But you feel like you are just the odd one out and you just get tired of this. So I've been praying to God, God, you say you've got this ministry of reconciliation. What does it look like here in town? And God was like, well, where do you live? I'm like, well, I, I live in Shelbyville. Okay, think about that. I hate when God is open-ended. But I started thinking, and I realized 92% of this town look like I do. 8% of this town does not. There's a lot of our friends and neighbors who are, are black or Hispanic or Asian American. And I was like, God, what, what are we going to do with this? doesn't even feel like we can have a conversation. And he's like, well, you're going to bring the hope, and you're going to bring the healing, and you're going to ask me to open doors, and you're going to bring it to them. I said, okay. So if I'm in Walmart getting my weekly gallon of milk, if I'm in Builders, if I'm at an athletic event, if I'm here in these hallways, I'm going to bring hope, I'm going to bring healing, and I'm going to be especially ready for that 8% of folks, that one in 12 in our community, who they need that just as much as anybody, and they may be hurting even more than some of the rest of us. I don't think that's controversial. I don't think that's political. I think that's the gospel. Y'all, when we follow Jesus, you're either taking a step forward or you're taking a step back. There's no in-between, and daggone it, I want to take steps forward. Don't you? So the worship team's going to come up, and you're going to have a chance to sit and just reflect and respond and you can bring your tithe forward if God uh, is moving you to do that and, and, and give to God. You know, but you might just need to sit there and pray, okay, Jesus, I'm a follower of you. I'm a disciple. I want to follow you. I want to be changed by you. I want to be on mission for you. What's it going to take? What's my one next step? So Jesus, we enter this time. We're going to sing these words to you. Because Jesus, we do love you. We know you don't give up on us. We don't want to give up on what you're doing. We don't want to settle for the spiritual milk. We want the solid food, God. We want the meat. We want it so bad. God, will you grow us in this season? Coming out of this pandemic, would you wipe out any trace of that stupid virus, Lord? Would you wipe it out? And Would you let this be a new season where we see that 87% one by one join our family and join this mission. Jesus, thanks for letting us be here and sit in your presence and taste your goodness. We offer these words to you. We ask you to use this time however you want to use it. We want to take a step forward. Lord, let us not take a step backward today. Let us not kid ourselves anymore. Build us up, Jesus. Amen. Amen.